Well, guten Morgen. Oh, auf English. I have been asked to come this morning to talk to you about events that happened years ago in my life. I am coming on to the end, and my memory isn't as good as it used to be, but who can forget October 31st, 1517? I was a young man then, only 33 years old, the same age as our blessed Savior when he came to this earth and made quite a stir himself. Yes, I was young and I was brash, but God helped me to make a difference in the world. And before I tell you about that day, just, just a few things about myself. I, I was born in a little city in Germany. My father was a copper miner turned merchant. He worked in the mines, earned some money, started a little business in town, and by the time he was a senior citizen, he was on the city council, one of the leaders of the city, and he had great dreams for his oldest son, Martin. Martin would become a lawyer, not a priest. No, 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 no. Priests don't make any money. And, and priests, the faithful priests, don't have any children. And Hans Luther wanted something for his old age. He wanted financial security, and he wanted to pass on the family name to his grandchildren. No, no priest. Martin will be a lawyer. And so I went off to university, got my bachelor's degree, and then entered law school. Hated it. Any of you out there studying something you really don't like to study, you'd know what I was going through. I didn't want to spend my life quibbling over regulations and rules and laws and being in courtrooms. No, I, I liked philosophy. I liked big ideas. And so, right in the middle of the semester of my law studies, I walked out. Uh, I think you call it dropped out. I just went home right in the middle of the semester. And my father was furious. So much wasted time, so much wasted money. What are you doing anyways, boy? My father was so angry, I left the house. I went to stay with some friends of mine for a few weeks and then decided I would have to go back and do something with my life. So I started back to isolate and to home. And suddenly I was caught in a thunderstorm like I had never experienced before. And I began to wonder if maybe my heavenly father was as angry with me as my earthly father was. I found a, a big tree to get under to get out of the rain and lightning struck the tree. I, I fell to my knees, and I cried, Oh, God, God, save me, save me! I will become a monk! The storm passed, but I had made a vow. I had made a vow to God, and I went and told my parents I was going to be a monk. And if I was going to be a monk, I was going to be as good a monk as there could be. So I ordered, I, I, I joined the order of the black-robed monks. 
the Augustinians, the strictest of all of the religious orders in the Roman Catholic Church. And there I tried to please God. I did not want God to be angry with me. And so I prayed. I prayed more than any of the other monks. I fasted, fasted till I was almost starving to death. I, I, in the winter, I would take my cloak and go out and sleep in the snowbank. I went to confession. Sometimes three, four times a day I went to confession. I wanted, I wanted God to understand and love me. You see, when I was a boy, I had seen pictures, paintings in churches. I, I had seen pictures in books, like that one right there. It wasn't Jesus the Good Shepherd. It wasn't Jesus my friend. No, it was Christ the Judge sitting on the rainbow at the end of time. And beneath him in the pictures, there would be people being coming out of the graves. On the right hand, on his right hand, out of the grave would come the righteous being escorted by angels to the blessed Peter, St. Peter, and to, to heaven. But on the left, on the left in this picture were demons dragging souls off to be greeted by Satan and sent into eternal punishment. And being a German boy... Being a teenager and a typical university student, I knew which way I would get dragged. In spite of all these things I was doing, I still felt this deep sense of guilt and shame and sin within myself. And I kept asking God, what more do you want from me? What more must I do? The head of the monastery, <laughs> got upset. He said, such a good mind, such a, uh, uh, an energetic person. He's wasting, wasting his time. He said, Luther, you will become a priest. You will study the orders of the Catholic Church, and you will become a priest and a scholar. And so I did. I went back to studies, and I became first a priest, and then I got my master's degree, and finally my doctor in theology. And then they sent me away. They sent me out of that monastery to a new university in Wittenberg, Germany. A new university where they needed a young professor. And I fit the bill. I was a good professor. I told jokes in my class. I, I, I did a lot of sarcasm. I was, I was, I was always asking questions. I like to take the students out in the evening and have a little drink. Don't ask. Uh, uh, it, it, was, it was a great experience in my life. I started in Genesis. I, I, my first class that I taught was the book of Genesis. And, and we got through that. And then I said, I'll, I'll teach the Psalms. I've memorized all 150 Psalms. That's what you do in the monastery. I knew them by heart. I said, let's do the, the Psalms. And I started through the Psalms. And we came to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Let me read the first verses to you. In you, O Lord, 
do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Be thou my strong rock, a house of defense to save me. Did you hear that, students? It is your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God that saves us, not, not, my, not my righteousness. Oh, here it says, for you are my rock. You are a mighty fortress. A, a mighty fortress is our God, not the church, not the government, not the university. A mighty fortress is our God. And he is the one who saves. And God began to work in my heart. We finished Psalms, and I asked if I could teach Romans the next year. It seemed to me that Romans got even closer than that psalmist did. And, and so we started in Romans, and I don't even need the book. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, that means good news, not bad news. Not Christ the judge waiting to send me and damn me to hell. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that good news is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who behaves. No. Everyone who goes the extra mile. No. To everyone who believes. For in that gospel, the righteousness, the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, the, the righteous person, the just person, lives by faith. This was a totally new concept to me. I, I was so overwhelmed, I began teaching it to students. In my classes, I would say, look what it says here. Let's look at the book of Romans and see what Paul is saying. And I was a young faculty member. Who cares what young faculty members are teaching in their classes? They can, they can do anything they want, I suspect. So I was teaching away things that were totally new until October 31st, 1517. You see, the Roman Catholic Church was teaching and, and believes that Salvation is a cooperative act between God and humans. We work at this thing together. No good Roman Catholic believes you are saved by works. No, you must be saved by faith in Christ. It is the merits of Christ that is important for salvation. And those merits come to us through the sacraments of the church, through baptism, through the Eucharist, through marriage. God gives his grace to us, but he expects us to add our merits to his merits. And when we cooperate, cooperate with God, then we can tip the scales and move towards heaven. And there were many ways that you could do good works. You could, you could go to Mass. You could go on pilgrimages. You could say the rosary. You could give of your wealth to the poor. Ah, 
Give of your wealth to the poor. That's good. But wouldn't it even be better, the Pope said, if you could give your money to the church? If, if God honors those who give money to the poor, certainly he would honor those who give money to the church. And Pope Leo wanted to build a church. He wanted to build the largest and most beautiful church in all of Christianity to honor St. Peter and St. Paul. It would be built there in Rome. But he needed money. What better way to get money than to ask for people to do it? And the church taught that the Pope had a special privilege given to Peter and then given to each of the bishops after Peter. That privilege was the ability to forgive sins, to forgive the little sins that all of us commit and which pile up in our life and must be cleansed when we die by going through the purging of a place called purgatory. And the Pope was given the privilege of being able to forgive those people who were going to spend a long time or short time in purgatory by giving them what was called an indulgence. You know, the way your grandparents indulge you. The Pope could do something very nice for persons. He could give them a shortened stay of their time in purgatory. And so the Pope said, I will do that for those people who contribute to the church, to the building of this great St. Peter's Church. I will give them forgiveness of sins to shorten their time that they are in purgatory. It, it made good sense in Rome. But by the time it got to Germany, it really was messed up. There was a priest, a priest who got a commission on all the money that he could raise for St. Peter's Church by offering indulgences. And so he began selling them. He began selling them by saying he was selling salvation. He had a price list. You tell him me what my sin, your sins are, I will tell you how much time you can be released from your stay in purgatory for that amount of money. The priest became overzealous. He said, not only are there, can there be money to reduce your time in purgatory, but you can buy your way out of hell. Not only can you buy your way out of hell, you can buy the way out of hell for your friends and family. Have you got a father who died and you can buy his salvation? He even came up with a little slogan. As soon as the coin in the money chest clings, a soul from purgatory springs. This was too much for me. I, who had come to this experience of knowing that I was God's child by faith, could not believe that we were selling, selling salvation. I went to my office. I sat down and I began to write questions. How can we say that salvation comes through paying money? How can we say that one can be a follower of Christ who does not repent of their sins and turn to the cross? 
If Jesus freely forgives all sins, why is the Pope asking for money? There is so much treasury, treasure in, in Rome and in the church. Why doesn't the church sell its treasures and buy salvation for these people? I kept writing questions, 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 questions. Ninety-five of them. Ninety-five theses, we called them. They were simply questions that gave people my students, other faculty members, the leaders of the church, all the chance to just answer my questions. And I wanted to let people know what my questions were. So on October 31st, the day before All Saints Day, I, I went to the church. That was the bulletin board for the university. We didn't have these little boxes I see some of you have in your hand. We didn't know how to get messages out the same way. What we did was we went to the church door and we put up whatever messages we wanted. That's where the professors put all of their assignments. And, and there they were, 95 questions that I wanted my students to answer. I wanted the church to answer them for me. Somebody took them off the door. They disappeared. I thought maybe it was the university president who was upset. But no, it was some people who took it down and took it to a town nearby where they had a new invention called a printing press. And would you believe a few weeks later, there were copies of my 95 questions, dozens of copies, hundreds of copies, thousands of copies all across Germany. <laughs> One of the copies made it all the way to Rome, to Pope Leo. He was not impressed. What right does a young priest someplace in Germany have to say these kind of things about the church? What right does he have to question what has been the tradition and the teaching of the church for many, many years? And so Pope Leo exercised another one of the privileges that was given to him. He excommunicated me, kicked me out. I lost my job as a teacher. He kicked me out of the church, which at that time was the only church in Europe. And excommunication kicked me out of heaven. I was damned, according to the Pope. Well, his letter made it back to Wittenberg. I got it, I read it, and I invited my students over in the evening to have a little drink. Don't ask. Uh, and I threw the Pope's letter in the fire. I said, it is only Jesus who has the power to send me to heaven. And it is only Christ that would have the power to send me to hell. And I am one who has faith in Christ. And nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, not even a letter from the Pope. 
And then there were three years of debates and conferences and trials. And suddenly I was not alone. There were other people who began to protest against things that they thought were not true to scriptures in the Bible. And before long, there were people who were calling themselves Lutherans. And there were people who were calling themselves Zwinglians. And just recently, there's a man by the name of Calvin and, and, and the, the Calvinist. And I don't know this Wesleyan I see around here when I walk around, but must be he's another one of those people who protest. Protestants, they call them, or as you say it, Protestants. Well, finally, they told me to come to Rome. They wanted to try me for heresy in Rome. I, I said, I will not come to Rome. At Rome, they take heretics like me and they make s'mores out of them. They toast them, but they don't use any chocolate. No, no, I must be tried in my own country by my own people. I want the trial to be in Germany, and I want the trial to be in front of the emperor and the princes, not the officials of the church. Let the prince and the emperors decide if I am faithful to the church, to the scriptures. They said, doesn't make much difference. The outcome will be the same. We will let you be tried in Germany. Come to the city of Worms, Luther. Come to the city of Worms and present your case. So I went. I went to Worms. And there I met before the emperor and I met before the leaders of the country. They had a table there. And it had all of my writings, my pamphlets, my books, my sermons were all there on the table. And the lawyer, who was my inquisitor, said, Martin Luther, you must condemn all of these writings. You must say that they are wrong. And you must repudiate them. You must then recant of everything you believe. You must say that what you are teaching is, is wrong. I thought for a few minutes, and then I said, kind sir, I cannot get rid of all of this. I cannot renounce all of my writings. Some of my writings I can. I have written some very, very scandalous, harsh things against people. And I would wish now that I had not written those, and I would throw them in the fire. But I have written about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have written about his holy word. I cannot burn truth that is God's truth. I cannot renounce the word of God. And yes, I have written things about the church, the church in Rome. They have abuses. They have things that are not biblical and even they have come to admit that they have made errors. I cannot renounce those. 
Stop it. Stop it, the inquisitor said. You are making words. You are making this complicated. Luther, we want a simple answer. We want one direct, simple answer from you. Do you or do you not recant? <laughs> there was somebody there who, who wrote it, so let me, let me read. He copied down what I said. Here's what I said. Most serene emperor, illustrious princes, and gracious lords, I appear before you in all humility according to your command, and I beg you to listen with favor to the defense of my cause, which I am well assured is just and right. You require a simple, clear, and direct answer. Therefore, I will give you one. I do not trust in the pope or councils alone, since it is known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures and by clear reasoning, I am bound to the word of God, and my conscience is captive to his book. I cannot and I will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against one's conscience. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. They deliberated for only a short time and found me guilty and condemned me to death. But they were gracious. They said, you can go back to Wittenberg, Luther, and you can settle your affairs. You can say goodbye to your family. And at the right time, we will commit you to the flames. They should have been more careful. They should have been more careful. Because on the way back to Wittenberg, I disappeared. I slipped away. And for one year, I stayed in hiding in a castle, unknown whether I was alive or dead. And in that year, I, I accomplished the greatest achievement of my life. I took my knowledge of Hebrew and Greek, and I took manuscripts that were brought to me, and I translated the Latin Bible into the German language so that the people, the people in my country who could read could now open their Bibles and say, but is it scriptural? Is it truth? Where did you get this idea that you are proclaiming, pastor? Where did you get this idea you are teaching, Pope Leo? Is it in the book? And over the year, I was able to write the Bible in German. And after a year, the Reformation had spread to the point where I could safely leave. The people would protect me now. The people had begun to swing towards a new understanding. The Catholic Church did see the error of its ways. The priest was forbidden from selling salvation. The church met and, and worked through its ideas and corrected many of the abuses. The Roman Catholic Church, even in my lifetime, has become a different church than it was when I was a young, angry man. But I fear that I have created something that is terrible. I have 
divided the church. You see, I wanted to reform it. My goal when I posted on that door was to ask the church to be faithful to the Bible, to be, to be faithful to Christ. And it caused a division. And I fear that there will be other divisions. Already there are people who say, Mr. Luther, we do not think your understanding of the Bible is right. We have a better truth than you do. And we are going to leave you, Mr. Luther, and start our little church. And I fear that there will be perhaps dozens, maybe hundreds of Protestants all thinking they have the truth. God forbid there would ever be thousands of these Protestants who are dividing and dividing and dividing the one body of Christ to which we were called, to which he prayed in the last hours of his life. I have started something that I fear cannot be fixed. So you ask me, would you do it again, Luther? Would you stand up against the church when you thought the church was straying from the truth? Would you challenge the university if you thought the university was not living out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to give your life for what you believe in your heart is the truth, no matter what the cost would be? Of course I would. Of course I would. Students, I do not think that you will need to nail something to the doors of the chapel here. If you do, use scotch tape. <laughs> I pray that you will never have to be standing in a courtroom where your life or your property or your reputation or your job could be at stake because you believed in Christ. But you must think whether you are ready for such a challenge if it should come. Would you have the courage to stand up, perhaps alone, and ask with wisdom and grace and love, ask questions, your theses, about whether we are being faithful to him. If you can do that, you will change the world. If you will do that, then I think you'll nail it.